we are diving into part three of a four-part series called Going to Extremes. And we're talking about things that, areas where we need to find balance and breakthrough. And tonight's topic is strength versus weakness. So very ironic that I'm standing up here before you tonight feeling really, really weak. God's funny that way, right? So um, I thought I knew the direction we were going to go. And then this morning, I had a one-hour conversation with somebody on the phone. And I got off the phone, and God was like, yeah, you're going a different way, honey. And then about 1.30, he said, actually, you're going to change it again. And then I went for groceries this afternoon. He's like, OK, now we're honing in right here, Renee, right here. <laughs> so I'm coming to you in weakness, because my strength is organization and outlines and having everything all put together. And I don't know if I'm going to talk out of my notes or my head or my heart or all of the above. I think it's going to be all of the above. But I'm just going to trust that, that it's going to be God's strength and my weakness, which is really the whole point of tonight's topic. So he's making me walk that out right here in front of you. So let's pray. Let's pray. God, I, I need you. Just like we sang tonight, I need you desperately because what you've put on my heart, I feel so strongly about tonight. And I want to impart it with a heart of love. And I want people to feel your heart for them in it. And so I'm asking you to anoint me way beyond my natural ability to minister truth and grace to hearts and minds tonight. And you are the only one that can take the weakness of what I say and you, and you, and you can tweak it. You can anoint that word in a different way for every single person that's here because you know what they need to hear. And so I'm trusting that you're going to be doing that tonight and I'm trusting that you will be strong in my weakness, and, and I promise you get all the glory for anything good that happens here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I got to tell you, too, another thing that I was thinking earlier is usually I teach. I'm a teacher by trade, and I like to teach the word. I like to dissect it and talk about what it means, and I felt like the Lord said, tonight you're going to preach. And so I'm going to say some things, and, you know, I, I want you to hear a mama's heart tonight, okay? I'm your mama, and so I'm saying things that sometimes, sometimes you hear better from somebody else instead of your own mom. And so I'm going to talk to you about some hard stuff tonight, but lessons I learned the hard way. And you know that commercial, who is it, where it says, uh, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two? Farmers, okay. Well, whoever it is, <laughs> that's sad. That's sad. But I, no, I love that commercial. Anyway, I, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two and I've done a thing or two. And so I'm here to, to tell you a thing or two because of that. So hear my heart in that. I, I'm praying hard that no one feels a lick of condemnation tonight. It is just all love, it is all love because I want to see you succeed where I did not. So I don't know what you think of when you think of strength versus weakness. So we can talk about physical strength, obviously, you know, especially for those maybe who, are, who like to work out or, or play sports. Um, the other week, Gary called me at home, and he had a tire issue. And he need, he's like, there's a tire out by the shed. He's like, would you, can you bring that over to me? And I said, yeah, sure. And I went out there, and I'm like, that thing, it was a truck tire. I mean, I could, I could not lift it. And I had only been out of the hospital like two weeks or so. And so 
I'm like, I am going to die right here in the driveway with this tire. And uh, so I literally prayed. I was like, Lord, on the count of three, you've got to kick in, and we're going to lift this tire into the car. And we barely made it. But I texted Gary. I'm like, you totally overestimated my strength because I was feeling pretty weak. So you might think of physical strength. You might think about you know, areas of just like natural strength. Like some people are like, well, I'm weak in math, but I'm really strong in language arts. So you might think of it that way. Uh, you might think of it, you think about when you fill out a job application or when people do this for us with premarital coaching. Tell us some of your strengths and some of your weaknesses. And you have to figure out a way to tell about your weaknesses without making them sound weak, right? You got to learn how to package that thing creatively. And, and so your, your head might be going there as well. So we, we can go a lot of different directions with strength and weakness. And quite frankly, I hate being weak. Um, my nickname when I was a little kid was Red Hen because my parents said I was super independent like the little red hen. And, my, and, and, and the, the vibe I gave off as a little kid was, I'll do it myself. And I'm still that way. And that is probably what landed me in the hospital back in January, is I will do it myself, all right? So, but even though I know that's a bad thing, I still like it. I still like to be independent. I don't like to be weak. I don't like to need anybody. And quite frankly, sometimes I don't like that I need God. I wish I could just do everything and be everything all by myself. And that, that is not reality. And we are kidding ourselves if we think we can, because we can't. Um, and honestly, I, I, I'll speak for me. If I didn't have areas of weakness, I'm not convinced I would seek God. Because when do I run to him? It is when I am weak. When I am struggling with a problem or a temptation or a hard thing, that's when I run to him. And that is the way he designed it. I want to suggest to you tonight that he actually designed it so that we would have weaknesses. And just let that blow your mind a little bit. He didn't design us to be all strong and, and perfect all the time, because then we would never need him. And we do. We desperately need him. So we're, we're going to jump in this, into this tonight. And literally, the Lord had me bring it down to one point. One point. And we're going to spend the whole night on this one point. So I, I, I'm just I'm confident. I'm confident it's going to change all of our lives I'm going to read our, our key verse tonight. It's 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. And here's the thing. It's super familiar, so you're probably going to listen to me read it and totally tune it out, okay? So I'm going to read it in the NIV first, which is going to sound really familiar. Try not to tune it out. Then we're going to read some other versions. So the NIV says it like this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. <clears throat> Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, listen to this in the Living Bible. This is God's, God says the first part, but I'm with you. That's all you need. My power shows up best in weak people. Then Paul says, now, now I'm glad to boast about how weak I am. I'm glad to be a living demonstration of Christ's power instead of showing off my own power and abilities. Listen to it in the message. This is God speaking. My grace is enough. <clears throat> it's all you need. My strength comes into, into its own in your weakness. And then Paul says, I love this, 
Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need to read it in a fresh version for it to hit my heart in a new way. It's too easy to tune it out otherwise. So I want us to all get on the same page about how this verse defines weakness. It defines it as a lack of strength in these four categories, and this is according to the Strong's Concordance, all right? So here they are. Weakness in this verse means a lack of strength to understand a thing. It means a lack of strength to restrain corrupt desires. Got seats right up here. It means a lack of strength to bear trials and troubles. And it means a lack of strength to do great and glorious things. That's what it means to be weak, to lack strength in those four areas. Now, I started out, we were going to talk about all of them. And then we went down to three, and then the Lord said, no, we're going to talk about one. And so tonight, we are talking about our weakness as a lack of strength to restrain corrupt desires. Now, don't, don't get freaked out about that, because, because we're going to break it down. And God, God showed me some really exciting things in Scripture. But that's, that's what we're going to focus on tonight. That's what God's asking us to sit on. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word corrupt. First thing, when I say, okay, if I say the word corrupt is an adjective, what's the first thing that you think of afterward? Yes, corrupt politician. That is the first thing I, th- I think of, and that that's what I put in my notes, corrupt politicians. Or we tend to think of, like, corrupt businessmen, right? It's usually, you don't hear about corrupt nurses. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't. It's always the businessmen, right? So we, we apply that word, and it's, it's always, like, deep, dark, evil, secretive things. Like, I picture corruption, I think about, like, um, Law & Order SVU. You know, that's, that's corruption at its finest on that show. All right. But I want you to think about this. Corrupt actually means this. It means things that destroy, ruin, or spoil. So when we talk about restraining corrupt desires, we're talking about things we want that will destroy us. Things we want that will ruin it for us. Things we want that will spoil the future. All right? That's what we're talking about. And I'm telling you, that applies to every single person in this room, including me. Okay? Hey, welcome. Come on in. Hello. (laughs) So, I want you to think about it because, quite frankly... Uh, and, and I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands and, and share anything, but, but you're all thinking right now of certain things that you're fighting against, corrupt desires, things you want to do that you know are spoiling it for you, they're ruining it for you, and, and you're struggling with it. And I want you to ask yourself, what am I missing out on because of this thing? And what will I miss out on in the future because of this thing? Okay? And, and I'm going to be honest about some of my own things as we go on tonight. So don't be sitting there thinking, well, she just has it all together, because that would not be true, and Gary could attest to it. So here's the verse that the Lord led me to tonight as our scripture, our, sort of our battle plan for how 
how we're going to learn to restrain corrupt desires. All right? Go with me if you have your Bibles or a Bible app to Isaiah 28, verses 5 and 6. And I want you to look at it because it's, you may have heard it before, you may not have. It's not, it's like the other scripture we read, everybody's heard about God being strong in our weakness. This one's a little less familiar. And here's what it says. God, would you just anoint this word tonight? He says, in that day, the Lord Almighty will be a glorious crown, a beautiful wreath for the remnant of his people. He will be a spirit of justice to the one who sits in judgment and a source of strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. So we're talking about strength tonight, and that's what I want you to focus on. It says he is a source of strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Now, let's talk a little bit about the context for this, because this was written in Bible times. We don't have gates, right? And so that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But let me tell you a little bit about what gates were like in Bible times, all right? So cities were walled in for protection. It was walled in. Now, that was because most battles were won or lost through hand-to-hand -hand combat. Today, walling in a city, uh, well, that's a little ironic considering what we're trying to do here in America, but <laughs> I wasn't really trying to be funny. Um, but by and large, if, you know, I mean, we could wall in the city of Anvil and it would mean nothing. You know, a bomb comes in and we're gone. So, but back in these days, that was key to have your city walled in to protect you. But of course, you had to have a way in and out of the city, and that's where the city gate was. Now, the gate had an outer gate and an inner gate. So you might get through the first gate, but then there was like a corridor area that you had to get through before you got through the next gate. And what happened in that corridor was a lot of different things, actually. In, the, in that corridor area, sometimes there were actually little rooms where people could meet, because this is where transactions happened. This is where deals were made. This is where merchants tried to buy and sell. This is where... Uh, people would witness things, uh, various business deals and so forth. And so these transactions happened in the corridor. And it was also a place where somebody might come up to the gate and want access, want access into the city, and one of the guards might say, no, no, you're, you're not coming in our city because this is no good for us. Now, there were guards at the gate. Sometimes there was a platform where the king would sit and pronounce judgment on things. Um, sometimes, uh, like I said, agreements were made there. And I want you to begin to visualize your life and your heart like one of these cities in the Bible. And you've got a gate. And you are the only one that gets to decide what comes in and out of that thing. Okay? You're the only one. And I want to talk to you about what happens in that corridor between the first and the second gate. Because this is where we get ourselves in trouble. And this verse is telling you, you turn back the battle at the gate. You say, well, I, I don't feel strong enough to do that. Of course you don't, because we're human. So the scripture says, he's your source of strength. God is your source of strength to turn back the battle at the gate. So if you want, if you want to keep something dangerous or harmful, those things that are going to destroy or spoil or ruin things for you, you turn them away at the gate. You never let them get in the gate. Because once you do, then, then we've got a whole other thing to talk about, and we'll get to that in a minute. 
If you're sitting there today, and, and I know some of you are thinking this because I was you, you're sitting there thinking, it's too late. I've already opened the gate. I want to suggest to you that it is not too late. We've all opened gates to various things in our lives. There's not a person in this room who hasn't opened a gate where they wish they had stood guard and said, you are not getting access in here. All right? We've all done it. So I, please don't hear any condemnation tonight. We've all got our stories. We just don't all have time to tell them tonight. Okay? So no, no condemnation in the room. But, but our key is to learn to, to rely on the Lord to help us turn back the battle at the gate. Now, what happens in the courtyard is this is where negotiations take place. So if you've ever negotiated with somebody, like they're trying to convince you something's a good idea and you're trying to figure out if it's legit or not, right? This is where we get in trouble is because we negotiate with the enemy, all right? He comes up, he knocks on the gate, and we decide to have a conversation. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture doesn't say, spend some time processing and negotiating at the gate. It says, turn back the battle at the gate. So our problem is we let him in and we start negotiating. And here's what you need to know. You are never going to win this argument with the enemy. You are never going to win. Even though you're absolutely right, and even though all of your arguments are based on truth and on scripture, you're not going to win. Because the things of the world... The things of God sound like total foolishness to the world. So if you're trying to negotiate with the enemy, if you're trying to negotiate with other people who, who don't know Jesus, they are going to talk you right out of what you think you believe. Because suddenly everything, I mean, you want to talk about sexual purity to somebody who doesn't even know Jesus? I mean, that's just absurd to them. They, don't, they just don't even get it. You talk about, well, I'm, I'm fasting social media, I'm, I'm, and they're like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, the things that we Christians say we do, it makes no sense to the world. And so what happens is we negotiate in that courtyard, and, and we start to feel incredibly stupid for the things we're doing or saying or believing, and they talk us right out of it. And that's why you stop the battle at the gate. You don't even let it into the courtyard because you will lose. I know this because I've done it. Now, um, let me scroll down here. Here's the thing, too. We, you know, we might say we have, uh, I have strong boundaries in this area or that area or wh whatever your area is. I mean, I don't care if we're talking big or little things here tonight. It doesn't matter. But what happens is when, when you start to negotiate there in the courtyard, you begin to, to change how you feel about what you thought, right? It begins to wear down what you thought you believed or you knew. So uh, my sister has a friend, Jen, who was trying to lose weight. And so she had baked a pan of brownies. And so she asked her husband to help her not eat too many of them. So together, they drew a line in the brownies. And Jen was allowed to eat up to that line. And once she got to that line, she was done. Guess what Jen did? She drew another line. OK? Now, we laugh because we're talking about brownies. But we do this all the time. How about it? We just move the line. We just move the line. I mean, I mean, I'm just talking even stuff like my phone. I'll just be on it for five minutes. I, okay, I tried setting, no lie. I tried setting one of those uh, settings that would like cut me off after five minutes. And I'm like, oh, this will be great. I just moved the line. Yeah. It's not hard because it says, do you want to override this today? Well, heck yeah. Of course I do. 
Yeah? We just move the line. We do it all the time. And before we know it, that thing has gotten in the gate. And now we got a problem. So let's agree the, the primary goal is to, to, to win that battle at the gate. You turn the battle away at the gate and say, I'm not even fighting this thing. The secondary part is it's not too late if you've already opened the gate, okay? There's still redemption. There's still possibility to win this thing. Now, here's what I want you to do. Just bear with me. I want you to each take off a shoe. Just take off a shoe, and I just want you to hold it. I want you to literally hold it in your hand. Sorry, sorry if you have a, if you have holes in your socks or whatever. Don't don't be embarrassed. So, all right. Actually, I'm gonna take mine off too. That only seems fair, right? Let's see what I got on. Okay. Now I feel crooked. All right. Now, just hold on to this thing for a minute because it's gonna make sense in a minute. This is gonna be symbolic of something, and I I really really want you to get this tonight, okay? Because when God was showing this to me, I'm like, Lord, this is so good. This is so good. So I hope that you think it's good too. Now, I want to take you to the story of Ruth and Boaz. All right? And let me just do a quick recap in case you're not familiar with the story. Ruth was married to Limelech, I believe his name was. And, and she lived with his family in her country. And her husband died. Her father-in-law died. And her brother-in-law died. So there she and Orpah, her sister-in-law, are. And they decide they will go back with their mother-in-law. They're going to stay faithful to her because, you know, three widows in that day and age didn't stand much of a shot, right? They, that was a scary place to be in that time. And so they decided we're going to go with our mother-in-law back to her home country. At one point, Orpah turns around after uh, Naomi, the mother-in-law, says, go back to your people. And so Orpah does. But Ruth says, no, I'm, I'm going to go with you. And so they get to, uh, to Naomi's hometown And Ruth happens to go out and gather grain in the field of Boaz. Boaz happens to be, lo and behold, a relative. And so, you know, here Naomi is playing matchmaker, like, you know, most of us my age want to be matchmakers. We want to take credit for it. And so she sets it up so that Ruth will catch Boaz's eye. And so long story short, I'm skipping a lot of details here, but if you haven't read it lately, the book of Ruth's four chapters, Go read it, soak it up, it's good stuff. Anyway, she sets this up so that Ruth basically says to Boaz, I want, I want you to pick me, I want you to marry me. Because in biblical times, if, if a man died, there would be a kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer would be the next person in line who would have access to, the, to taking care of that person's land and, and then by default, that person's spouse. And so the idea is that Boaz will rescue Ruth. He will be her kinsman redeemer. And so Boaz says, hey, I'd love to do this, but there's actually somebody in line ahead of me. So I'll talk to him, and if he doesn't do it, I will. I'll marry you, and I'll take care of you. And so where does Boaz go to meet? He meets this other man, this other kinsman redeemer, at the city gate. Because this is where transactions take place. This is where business deals took place. And this was a business transaction for all intents and purposes. That's what it was. And so he explains to the man, hey, this is the deal. Um, you know, would you like to redeem Elimelech's land um, for yourself? You're the next in line. And the guy says, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And then Boaz goes, oh, 
and I wish I had been there so I could have like read facial expressions, but he's like, oh, it also means you'll have to marry Ruth. And I just have to wonder at this point if Boaz wasn't kind of crushing on Ruth. I have no idea. But I like, in my head, I like to think that. But, <laughs> but it, to him, it was more than just a business deal. So, so the other guy says, and I want you to hear this part. He says, oh, then I can't do it because that's going to mess up my inheritance. He knows that he has to say no. And just it doesn't make sense according to the way do we do things today. But it would have messed things up for him and the land he already owned and, and his, his inheritance it would have messed things up. So he says, um, this is what he does. This is what they did in Bible times. They took a shoe, a sandal in, the, in those days. But no one's wearing sandals in March, right? So took a sandal. And he handed it to Boaz. And he said, I can't do it. You do it. That's what he says. I, I can't do it. You do it. And he hands the sandal to Boaz. And Boaz takes it, marries Ruth. They live happily ever after, and they're in the family line of Jesus. So, But this is what I want you to get. The name Boaz, and I'm telling you this is not coincidence. The name Boaz means strength. It means strength. And literally, that man at the gate knew that making this decision was going to mess up his inheritance. It was going to mess things up for him and his land and his family. And so he looks at Boaz. He looks at his strength. Boaz is reminiscent of God in this story. And he says, I can't do it. You do it. And that is what I want you to learn to do when something comes knocking at your gate. I want you to hand your shoe to the Lord and you make a deal with him and you say, I can't do it. You do it. And you let the Lord be your source of strength to turn back the battle at the gate. Now, I, I actually want you to do this on purpose with your shoe, OK? I want you to try this. I did it today because whenever I'm studying for things, I just get really distracted with my phone. I'm like, oh, I haven't checked email for at least 15 minutes. Surely something riveting has come in, you know? Or I'm like, you know what? I think I'll go to the bathroom, and I might just play a round or two of Toy Blast, you know? And then there we are, like, six rounds later, you know, or whatever. OK, so this, this is what we do. So I literally, I put a shoe right there where I was studying. And I said, God, I can't do it. You do it. And I put my phone in my shoe to remind myself. And it sat there, because I said, I can't do it. I'm weak, OK? I'm weak. I'm pathetic. I cave over and over again. But you know what? Every time, I mean, I would hear that thing vibrate in the shoe. And it was like driving me crazy. But I was like, no, but I just made a transaction with God. I just made a transaction with God, OK? If your computer is causing you problems, I'm telling you, you take a shoe, and you put it right there. And you say, God, I can't do it. Will you do it? What if your problem is running to the refrigerator or the pantry and you're eating things you shouldn't be eating? I'm telling you, you stick a shoe in the refrigerator. I, I'm, I'm telling you. And you go and you open that thing up and you see the shoe and you say to yourself, God, I can't do it. You do it. All right? I want, you, I want you to think about it. What if you are spending money you shouldn't? What if your credit card debt is getting you in trouble? You stick a shoe in your purse. You stick a shoe. Guys, I don't know. Pocket. Put your wallet. Carry your shoe around with the wallet. I don't know. Do what you, I'm telling you. 
I'm telling you, you say, this, this thing is knocking at my gate, and I want to buy something. I just want to buy something today. And you say, no, God, I can't do it. You do it. I'm making a transaction with you because you are my strength, and I'm asking you to do what I cannot do for myself. You turn back the battle at the gate. Listen, listen. If you're on a date with somebody and you want to start doing things you shouldn't or touching things that you shouldn't, you stick a shoe between the two of you. <laughs> you laugh, but it is going to kill the mood, I'm telling you. And you say, God, I can't do it. You do it. Help me to turn this battle back at the gate, that place of transaction. Now, I'm going to tell you about this hour-long phone call I had today, and I'm going to be anonymous. I don't think any of you know this person. It's not a Lifeway person, so don't sit there and try and figure out who it is, okay? Uh, I'm just going to put my shoe on because the uneven height is distracting me. So you can put yours on or let it off if it's helpful. All right. So I got a text early this morning from someone I have talked to maybe once in the last six years. And she said, do you have time to talk today? And um, I, I mean, I, just, I, I knew her well enough. I, we knew each other quite well in one season of life. I knew she wasn't just asking to chat about the weather. And so we made a phone date for 9 o'clock. And I just prayed my head off for the next hour and a half because I had no idea. I felt very weak. You know, I like had no idea what, what she was going to be telling me or what kinds of answers I was going to need to come up with. Okay. She is in a dangerous position because she is struggling to turn back the battle at the gate. Right, hear my heart on this. She's 31. She's not married. And she's still a virgin. And she is tired of waiting for Mr. Wright. And she was broken. We talked for an hour. And she is beginning. See, she's already opened that first gate. And this is why she's in trouble. Because she's in the corridor right now negotiating with the enemy. Because first of all, she's dating a guy right now who's not a Christian. Okay. Secondly, she is getting closer and closer to compromising what she would say were her values. And all of a sudden, okay, this is a girl, let me tell you, solid in her faith. She grew up in the church. Like, we all have different stories, but hers has been pretty straight and narrow, okay? And here she is, 31, after 31 years of walking with Jesus and closing that gate, and she's saying, Renee, I don't, I don't think I can do it anymore. I don't think I want to do it anymore. And she is starting to negotiate in that corridor with the enemy. And I'm listening to her talk. And, and you got to know, I was so kind because I have been there and I have lost that purity battle in the corridor. Okay, so I, I got her struggle. I got it. But I had to speak truth. I couldn't pretty it up. I couldn't make it, I couldn't act like it wasn't a big deal because it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so we talked that thing through for an hour, and all of a sudden she was like, I don't even know what I believe anymore. I don't even think I know what the Bible says about this anymore. And I said, Oh, to be honest, there are some things in the Bible where, as Jimmy would call it, they're debatable things, right? But there are other things that are crystal clear. And I said, Honey, this is one of them. And she said, and again, this is a girl who knows her Bible, and she's like, can you tell me what some of those scriptures are? Because she's in the corridor negotiating, and all of a sudden, everything that the boyfriend is saying makes total sense to her. And she, she was like, can you explain to me why, 
why I shouldn't have sex before I married? She's like, all of a sudden, I don't even know. I don't even know if I believe that anymore. And, and the enemy is talking her right out of what she knows to be true as she is there negotiating in the corridor. And she said, you know, I don't know if I ever believed this. She said, I think I just always thought, well, God would be so disappointed in me. My parents would be so disappointed in me. And I said, oh, honey, I said, the truth is God would be disappointed for you. He would not be disappointed in you because he knows. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we struggle. He's disappointed for you because he's got something special for you. And you're going you're gonna to jeopardize that. We talked about, you know, when we talk about corrupt desires, it's things that, that can spoil the future, ruin the future. Now, there's redemption for all that. And we're going to talk about that in a, in a minute because we've all let things in the gate. But, you know, this is what happens in negotiation. She said to me, and I, I'm telling you, like, I just needed the grace of God on me for this conversation because she was saying things. And I was like, I can't even believe you are falling for this crap if you will excuse my language. She said, he said to her, well, I have a need for sex and you might not have as strong of a need because you're a woman. Well, first of all, that doesn't even make sense, but that was his line. <laughs> then he said, um, you know, if, if we're not going to have sex, then would it be okay if I had sex with other people on the side so that that need could be met? And I said to her, are you hearing this? I said, what on earth makes you think that he would be faithful to you if you were in a relationship or if you did marry this guy? If he's willing to sleep with other people while you're at this level, what makes you think he would be faithful later? I didn't say it quite that adamantly. I was very, like, you know, something to ponder, you know? Then she said uh, they had a talk last night. They got really, she got really close to giving in last night. And he said... He was going to go home and think about it and decide if this was a deal breaker for him. And I said, listen, who says he gets to decide if this is a deal breaker? You decide this is a deal breaker for you. This isn't the kind of person you want. This isn't the kind of person you want. But I'm telling you, okay, it sounds ridiculous, right? When you hear all those lies and she's buying into them and they're starting to make sense. We have all done it. We have all gotten in that corridor with the enemy and he's, he's batted us around a couple rounds. And all of a sudden, the stuff he's saying starts to make sense. And, and we start to think, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. And this is when we start the slippery slope of opening that second gate and saying, OK, come on in. I'm telling you, after I talked to her, I thought, God, like, you know, I, I've been there. I remember that. And, and some of you have been around long enough to have heard Gary and my story. Now, Gary and I have never been sexually active with other people, but we were sexually active with each other before we got married. And I'm telling you, people will say to you, well, it all worked out okay, right? Because, you know, you loved each other. You forgave each other. You've been married 30 years. Oh, no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I'm thankful for this man, and I'm, I love my marriage. I love my husband, and I'm, I'm blessed, and I get that. But it doesn't make up for that, because we carried the guilt and the shame of that into marriage. And there's been God's grace all over it, but we, we couldn't go back and undo it, right? We couldn't go back and undo it. And so I, I remember those days of negotiating with the enemy in the corridor and saying, well, we're planning to get married anyway, so what's, you know, is it a big deal? You know, all the while knowing that it really was, you know, but, but all of a sudden we're trying to come up with all these insane arguments 
that really don't make good sense, but we buy into them there in the quarter. We do this, we do this all the time, and sometimes it's little stuff, it's not always the big stuff, but we do this, the enemy talks us into it. Now, I didn't start out planning to talk about sexuality tonight, but after my phone call with this precious friend this morning, um, and, and we left it, she was in a different place, and I said, I'm just gonna pray my head off for you, call me, let's be in touch, and, and I, can be, I can be accountable for you. Like I said, listen, if you decide to go through with this, I will love you anyway. <laughs> I will love you anyway. That will not change a thing. But I'm fighting for you because I want this for you. I want this for you. But, you know, it doesn't, it's not just about closing the gate to premarital sex, guys. <laughs> you got to close that gate to anything that would spoil or ruin or sabotage your future. Anything. Anything that's going to sabotage it. All right, because here's the thing. I mean, Gary and I were just talking about this today. I could list for you, and again, we're not talking about lifeway people. I mean, just people, Gary and I know a lot of people. I can tell you four couples right now who ended up, one of them ended up in an extramarital affair. All Christian couples, all what you would say were solid Christian couples, and one of them had happened in the very first year of marriage with somebody from work. So listen to me. I like to think that I would never do that. All right, but, but the temptation is going to be there for, for some of us on some level. And, and you've got to turn back, turn back that battle at the gate. That's not been a temptation for me, but I'm not so foolish or naive to think it couldn't be, right? You put the right person or the wrong person in the right situation at the right time, and, you know, some of these people, it was just like a perfect storm, you know, of, of events and situations and emotions, and they just, they just caved and you, and you say, you just, you just got to turn back that battle at the gate. You don't even have that conversation. You don't even start texting that coworker. You don't even say, well, it's just, you don't negotiate and say, well, it's just a little lunch. It's just a business lunch. You know what I mean? Like you turn back the battle at the gate. You don't negotiate with the enemy. Now, another thing, you will notice that Boaz called witnesses, 10 witnesses, the Bible says, 10 witnesses to see him hand over, uh, to see uh, the other guy, I don't know if we know his name, if we do, I'm just gonna call him the guy, uh, hand his shoe to Boaz and say, I can't do it, you, you do it. There were 10 other people witnessing that to hold them accountable. You need people holding you accountable too. All right, it doesn't have to be 10, it can be one. But you need somebody holding you accountable. And here's the thing, the Bible talks about grace and truth. All right, that God is a God of grace and truth. That means he will tell you the hard things you want to hear, you don't want to hear, but he's going to do it in a very loving way. And you, you don't want somebody that's all truth because they will just tear you down and rip you up and leave you feeling like dirt, okay? But you don't want somebody that's all grace because they're like, it's okay, God's good, you're fine. And that's, that's true, but... They're leaving out a bunch of other stuff. And so the whole time I was talking to this dear friend this morning, I was like, God, grace and truth, grace and truth. Help me to say the things that I knew she wanted me to say the truth, but I knew she didn't, you know. But here's the thing. You, you need, don't ask somebody to be a witness for you if you're not prepared for the truth, yeah. all right? And don't, don't take it easy on yourself by just finding somebody that will only give you grace. Yeah. Because here's the thing, like, it hurts it hurts when somebody speaks truth, and it should, because if they're speaking it and it hurts, it means we were right on the verge 
of negotiating with the enemy and opening that gate. So you want somebody that's going to be honest with you and say, oh, don't do this. You don't want to do this. You run from this thing. You say no to this thing. I'd rather hurt your feelings than jeopardize your inheritance in Christ. I'd rather hurt your feelings, and that's hard. So find somebody that'll shoot straight with you and tell you the truth in love. Now, here's the second thing you need to know. When you study the definition for the word gate, so we talked about turning back the battle at the gate, it also has the idea of escorting something to the gate. And here's the beautiful part of this scripture, all right? When you have opened the gate and let something in, at any moment, I mean right now, you can escort that thing back out. You have that privilege, you have that right, you can do it. You walk that thing to the gate and say, I made a mistake letting you in here. You are dismissed. Goodbye. And you let that thing, that person, that temptation, that habit, whatever it is that's trying to mess up your inheritance in Christ, and you escort that thing back to the gate, and you say, I, I'm not interested. I, I don't want you here anymore. And you, you make them leave. Now, here's the thing. I've got my own stuff that I let in the gate, and I had to escort it back. And I know a lot of people feel like, it, you know, yes, on one hand, we reap what we sow, all right? So Gary and I were sexually active before we were married, and we, we had to reap the result of that and work through that and find healing and freedom in it, all right? And by God's grace, we did, all right? So, so that is possible. But uh, the, the reality is this, in the, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this to make any excuses, but like in the first two years of our marriage, Gary and I watched some pornography together. Um, we didn't have easy access because there was no internet or anything, but, um, but we did. And honestly, like, nobody really talked about it. It wasn't really a thing back then because we didn't have technology. Um, I, I knew it was wrong, but, but I negotiated there in the corridor. And it was like, well, we're married. We're having sex. We're allowed to have sex. We're supposed to be having sex. So, like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Oh, it was a big deal. It was a big deal because watching that completely skewed my idea of what my body was supposed to do when I was making love with Gary. And those first couple of years were really, really difficult and painful for me and for us sexually because I couldn't, I just couldn't get past the things that I saw and it messed with my head because I had let it in the gate. But here's what you need to know. It has been over 28 years since I escorted that thing back to the door. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I am uninviting you. I am dismissing you. I'm escorting you back out this gate over 28 years. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not possible, because it is. And I'm living proof of that, OK? I'm not saying the thoughts never come. I'm not saying it never knocks on the gate. But the longer I have, I have turned back the battle at the gate, I mean, I'm, I'm not interested. You know what I mean? The enemy will try. But I'm just, I'm not interested. I mean, what, what I have with Gary is so much more wonderful and precious than that would ever be. And so for, for those of you that have things in your life and you're like, I've, I've already let it in the gate, I'm telling you, you can escort it back. And you might just say, it's only been one day since I've escorted this thing, thing out. OK, so you start adding up the days. And soon you'll have seven days since you escorted that thing out the gate. And then you'll have a year, and someday you will say, it's been 28 years since I escorted that thing out the gate. And you will, you'll still have won the battle at the gate. Yeah. 
you'll still have won the battle. You, you can win this thing either way, either way. And I, I want you to know that. Listen, God is your source of strength to turn back the battle at the gate. You negotiate only with him. You don't negotiate with the enemy or with other people, only with God. And you say, I, I can't do this. You do it. You do it. And I, I promise you, he's going to help you win this thing, even if it's literally like, okay, Renee, it's only been like three hours. I'm like, that's good. That's good. All right? So you just, you just stand guard at that gate, and let's go for six hours. And let's go for nine hours. And you don't let that thing have access to you. One of the things that I, I've prayed over other people different times is, you know the story of Joseph uh, where he's in Potiphar's house? And it says this. It says, though she spoke to Joseph day after day. It wasn't like she propositioned him one time. This was day after day trying to wear him down. It says he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. It wasn't like he just said, no, thanks. He was like, he just was like, I'm not even going to be with this woman. And then when she got aggressive, he literally ran from that thing. I've prayed the spirit of Joseph over people. Like, give them, give them the spirit of Joseph to flee at the sight of temptation. Give them the spirit of Joseph so that when the battle comes to the gate, they just, like, run. Don't even answer the door, okay? Don't even answer the door. You just run from that thing. I want to close by asking you to picture a seesaw. Now, I don't even know if these are legal anymore. Are they? Where there's like a, a, a do you even know what a seesaw is? You're all looking at me like, okay, okay. So there's like a fulcrum and then there's a board, you know, that seesaws. And a, I mean, in the old days, they were always wooden. And so I think they've pretty much been outlawed. But, you know, we, I guess you're scarred and your face is from a, a wooden swing, right? Not a seesaw. Anyway, I mean, lots of people had injuries from seesaws and swings, okay? But here's what I want you to, I want you to picture this in your head, okay? So when there's another kid about your size, you get on that seesaw and you can balance the thing out pretty well, right? But what if it's just you and mom or dad? Because that would happen to us sometimes. We go to the playground and it's like, well, if I get on the other end, this just isn't going to work. It's not going to balance. And so my child, whether it was Molly or Hannah, they would sit on the ground and then I would just use my arm, you know, push the, the other side up and down. Okay, here's what I want you to know. If you are down there and you are feeling weak, the only way you are getting air is if God pushes on that other side. It's the only way. Likewise, if you are on the side that's up in the air, the only way you're staying up there is if God is pushing on the other side. All right? He is your source of strength when you're weak. And he's also your source of strength when you're strong. That's the only way you're going to stay strong is by relying on him to be your strength. And he wants to do it. He wants to do it for you. He doesn't want you to have to do this yourself. He loves it, actually, when you're like, I'm, I'm feeling so weak today. I feel so weak. You're going to have to step in and help me with this. Gary, Gary worked for, work, not worked for, thank goodness, worked with a guy years and years ago. The guy was young and, I mean, probably late teens, early 20s, and really thought pretty highly of himself and his carpentry skills. And he actually said to the rest of the guys on the job one day, that's the great thing about me. I can do it all. <laughs> so we have been quoting that line to each other for the past 30 years because it was hysterical. So when one of us does something, or you know, we'll be like, well, that's the great thing about me is I can do it all. <laughs> anyway, here's the thing. It's, it's ridiculous and arrogant for a human to say it, right? 
But when God says it, that's the great thing about him is he can do it all. He can do it all. He can be the one to help you turn back the battle at the gate, and he can help you escort that thing back to the gate because he is your source of strength. He is your source of strength in the battle. I'm going to just close with this line from Sarah Young. Um, she writes the Jesus Calling devotionals, and so it's like, it's, Je- it's, it's like what Jesus might be saying. And I love this line. This is Jesus speaking to you tonight. He says, do not fear your weakness. For it is the stage on which my power and glory perform most brilliantly. I love that. I want to pray for you. And then if anybody wants personal ministry tonight, um, we'll have some people available out here in the hallway. And feel free to drink coffee and chat and hang out and uh, talk to each other, get to know somebody you didn't meet before. But let's pray. God, I thank you that you are our source of strength. I thank you that you help us turn back the battle at the gate. For all those places where we we have been foolish and we have negotiated with the enemy and we have lost, I thank you that you have also given us the supernatural ability to march that thing right back to the gate and say you are dismissed. And so, God, I pray for each of us tonight, just a spirit, like just the spirit of your sweetness and your love and, and your you know, your conviction is so sweet, Lord, because it says we can try this again. We can start over right now because your mercies are new every morning. And we are so grateful for that. And so, God, you know each of our hearts. And you know the areas where we're battling this thing, the areas where our defenses are wearing down, the areas where we've listened to lies, the areas where the enemy's gotten a big toe in that door, in that gate. And I just declare tonight just a spirit of freedom and a spirit of victory to fall upon the people in this room to go home tonight and say, I could turn back this battle at the gate. I could do this. It is not too late to have victory in this thing. And so, God, you know, you know, you know, sometimes we think we know what we need to work on, but honestly, you know better than us. And so just put your finger on that thing for each of us. And God, we just choose tonight to, to make a transaction with you and say, I can't do it, you do it. Because we don't want to miss out on anything that you have planned for us. We don't want to miss out because you're for us and you're good. Your plans for us are good and we want all of it. And so I just speak redemption for all those places where we have messed up. I thank you that you are so good at cleaning up our messes. And it is, it is a new day and a fresh start. Every single minute is, is new because of you. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that, God. God, I love the people in this room. And I, I, like, they're my kids, and I want to see them walk in the fullness of everything that you have for them. And, and God, you know some of them are, are hurting tonight. Some of them are defeated tonight. And I just declare that because of you, those defeats are going to become victories. And not just victories, but testimonies. So they can someday stand up here like me and say, with the help of my God, with the help of my God, I have escorted this thing back to the gate. And so we just call forth testimonies of victory, your victory, your strength in our weakness, Lord. Show off, just show off in our lives. And we will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.